Look, the fire's coming. Are you ready for the fire? We're firemen. Okay. We are firemen! Got it, coach. The heat doesn't bother us. We live in the heat. We train in the heat. Yeah, let's go. It tells us that we're ready. We're at home. We're where we're supposed to be. Yeah, first off, when I say thanks, coach. thanks coach. Working hard doesn't mean bankroll. But aim for the box for the bank, though. Uh. Pad to pen, yeah, take note. God at the helm, we in the same boat. The gain requires other pain, though. No slack, practice never cancel. Yeah. Learn how to ball. Yeah. Coach when I fall. Uh. Lesson is learned. You're listening to Thanks Coach with your host, Darnell Samuels. Meeting Coach Nicholas Davis was a turning point in my life. I met him when I was trying out for the Brampton Blue Devils rep basketball team. I got cut. But he taught me a very important lesson. Never correct somebody without leaving them with a hope. And that's what he did for me. I took to heart his critique of my game and ended up making the Brampton Blue Devils team two years later. Today, Coach Nicky holds OG status in Canadian hoops. He coaches for Nike Bounce AAU program, is the assistant coach at Sheridan College, and is a consultant for the junior national team. He has coached many of the guys that have come on this show, including Manny Dosange, Sean Douglas, Marie Smith, and Alvin Noel. When he's not coaching basketball, he's a director of engagement and inclusion at CBC News. After my interview with him, he gave me a tour of the building and gave me some pointers on how I can step up my game as a journalist. Thanks, Coach Nikki. All right, thank you, Coach Nikki, for uh, joining me today. Uh, you're welcome. Yeah, your time is greatly appreciated. I know you're a busy man, and you know, let everybody know uh, a little bit about yourself in your past. Um. Well, let's see. In, in terms of coaching, uh, or yeah, in terms yeah. of yeah, just, just like, coaching. Well, in terms of coaching, I mean, I got into coaching um, not intentionally back in uh, around 1987. A good friend of mine, his brother, was starting a, a summer league up in Brampton um, through the city of Brampton, and so he got access to some gyms, and uh, he decided he was going to run a summer league. But he didn't. He had more. He had lots of kids who wanted to play, but he didn't have any coaches, and so he basically almost just forced me and a couple of my other friends to coach and that was my first time coaching I'd never coached before it was a really good league in terms of the talent that was in the league like just some really good players out of Malton and out of Brampton who are in this league and uh, they really deserved a better coach but they got me at the time and I'd never coached before and how old were you? I, 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 let's see 87 I was probably 23 years old mm-hmm. and um, it was an interesting experience you know the thing is because and my team ended up winning the league that summer okay nice and, no, it was. I had nothing to do with it. Trust me, I had zero to do with it. I had a kid on my team, who was such a good player. He was so good. This kid from Malton, um, and he would question everything I did, everything I said. He goes, "Coach, we need another point guard. Like, we need to get another point guard on this team, really, really badly. I cannot play every second of every game. Have to do all the scoring, guard the best player on the other team, <laughs> and be the captain, and leader of this team. Because you got to help develop another point guard." Right. And uh, so I said, "Well." I don't know how to do that. Like, I'm 23. I don't know how to do that. I mean, I played basketball. I played point. You know, I had a you know decent high school career. And uh, he goes, well, well, then let me pick a guy, and then I'll do it. And so he developed this guy. 
and help mm. this guy become a better point guard. And then halfway through the summer, I now have two pretty good players. Like somehow he, he helped this kid become a much better basketball player. Mm-hmm. We ended up winning the championship, and uh, he always was appreciative that I was not. That I didn't. I didn't shut him down on his ideas. Right. Like I didn't say no. We're gonna do it my way, but. I had no way, so I couldn't have said no, I'm going to do it my way. Right. And I actually appreciated that he understood more about what our team's needs were than I did at the time because I'd never right. thought about coaching like up until that point. You know what I mean? I just never thought about it. And so he, what he did was he actually inspired me to go learn how to coach, like that player, because I thought, you know what? This kid's right. Like These are good kids. These are good basketball players in this league. This is not a league of bad players, right. and they need a good coach. They, they can't just be out there trying to figure it out on their own. They need some direction. And I, it, I, it's my responsibility if I'm going to continue to coach in this league, which I felt like I had no choice because my friend's brother was forcing us to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I better learn. So I decided at that point that, you know what, I'm going to spend my summers and go to all these camps. So I went to all these, like these have all these basketball camps in the States. And I'm like, they did Metro Index. They had um, ABCD. Did they oh, camp. They had all these ABCD? camps. Yeah, well, I used to, you just go and volunteer to coach, oh. right? And then... The way they had the camp set up was like you one camp would end one week, then the next week another one would go, and you would just go barnstorm camps mm-hmm. and volunteer to coach. Mm-hmm. Some would pay you, some wouldn't, most wouldn't pay you. Of course. And you sacrifice your summer. And but what you guys a great experience being around really good coaches. Uh, you got a chance and even needs to pick their brains and to think about what they're how, how they're thinking about basketball. And also see top tier players. Yeah, some of the camps, like 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 the the one I went to at Brandeis uh, University, I went to one at Brandeis, which was called the Party Basketball Camp, and they had like a like a camp for like the Boston Celtics, because Party's Robert Parrish and D Brown, they had a camp at the yeah. times when D Brown played at the uh, uh, in Boston still, yeah. and they had a camp that was like kind of <clears throat> for like you know kids who just wanted to meet NBA players, but then they had another part of the camp where they gave scholarships to the best players in the state of Massachusetts to come and play, and they played for free. And right. so that was a part of the camp I was working in. Mm-hmm. And you just had an opportunity like to, to be around really talented players and then around really good coaches. Because what our jobs as volunteers were was they had a guy who was coaching, and then we would help the person coach. Okay. Like So we were basically like I had to sleep in the dorm with the kids. I was managing the kids. I'd make sure they get to the practice on yeah. time, get to the workouts on yeah. time, get to the game, schedule <laughs> on time. Yeah. And then you send the bench and you're a coach. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a real learning process. But then in the evenings, we would just stand around and we would just shoot the shit and we'd just talk about basketball mm-hmm. and talk about philosophy. Mm-hmm. And then most of these camps had really good instructors who'd come in and teach like show the kids drills mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So like even Metro Index, right, which is, uh, I think it was out of New Jersey at the time anyways, like those camps, like you just played games from 8 in the morning till 11 at night, which is games. But then when you went to like a- ABCD or if you went to uh, the Party Camp or you went to, oh, there's a whole bunch of other camps, can't remember them all now, there's so many. Mm-hmm. Um, they had people who'd come in and like guest instructors, like, you know, right. like that shooting coach who's like a big shooting coach, I think his name was, I think his name is Dave Love. Um, mm-hmm. He's a big time shooting coach. Uh, I think he actually was the guy who tried to help Shaq with his free throws. Like I was at a camp where he was at, right? And I watched him for an hour, for one hour, do a display of shooting that was so outrageous and so good, but just taught you how to teach people how to shoot. Taught mm-hmm. you, and so we got to see this too. Even though he's teaching the kids, we get to see it right, too, of course, right? And so I did that for like three or four summers. Like I just spent my entire summers like. Oh, so it wasn't just one summer. No, because you're not going to learn it all in one summer. Like, yeah. you just go and you and you, you just keep going to these camps. And then I would go to all the – anytime there was a coaching clinic, I'd go to coaching clinics. I'd go 
to where I just wanted to get more information. I'd go to the library. Mm. I'd take up books. Mm. I would just read about quote. I remember reading um, the guy from uh, uh, Wooten. Wooten had a book, this mm. coach, Coach Wooten. And I remember mm. reading his book. I remember reading the uh, UCLA coach's book. Uh, John Wooden. Yeah, John Wooden. Yeah. But there's a guy named Wooten, too, like W-O-O-T-E-N. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm familiar and, with that one. Yeah, and uh, and I, I'm reading their books, and their books are like these like books from the 60s and 70s and their yeah. 80s, and they're like, like we don't even play basketball like that anymore. But there are some real good fundamentals and principles in there mm. that they had that you could really help kids if you want to like learn so you mm -hmm. just learn you just absorb material and then you try and put it in practice so i would go so i went to camp all summer mm -hmm. then i go coaching house league right for brampton in the winter yeah and in the house league i'm trying to you know take some of the things i've learned and apply them so so let me ask you so what was it that made you fall in love with coaching um coaching basketball like how you went started from that little being forced uh -huh. to now you know, spending your summers learning from other coaches? Well, I wouldn't say it's my personality type. I wouldn't say I, I fell in love with coaching at that time, mm -hmm. but I did feel a responsibility to the young people who were coming to play on any team I was part of. I felt a real responsibility to do right by them. Like, I, I, I was really brought up um, by a mother who had, who just instilled some really important values in me and my brothers you know, when we were growing up around, if you're going to do anything, do it well. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's it. Like, just do it. Like, you may hate it. You may not like it. But if you want an opportunity to do the next thing, mm -hmm. why would anyone hire you to do the next thing if you're doing this thing really poorly? Mm -hmm. So just do it well. Like, and so I just, I just had that kind of ethic around how I work. Like, you mm -hmm. know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to be enforced. I might as well do it well. Um, I think my, 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 my love of coaching came much, much later when it became around um, problem solving, around um, helping kids um, kind of reach their potential in life, not in basketball, just in life, around, um, you know, like just talking about the, the science of basketball as opposed to the one winning and losing part of it. You know what I mean? That's where my love for it really grew. And that was much later because when I first started coaching, it was really just around learning how to teach basic fundamentals, how to teach skills. And I had to figure out how to actually keep kids engaged, how to shift with the times because, you know, the times have changed. Yeah. Um, and I had to figure all that stuff out. Oh, so then you well you've been coaching for a very long time, and I can tell that you know you you love dealing with the players. Uh, so would you say, or based on your experience, has, is there a difference now and then between the player coach relationship? Yeah, I would say the game has just changed a lot. Like I mean, like when I first started coaching, like you never saw parents around. Like you know, kids would come to practice. Parents would drop them off. Even they, and then they'd leave and do whatever. You, the parents weren't hanging around, yeah. um, and, and then you were really responsible for those kids. And and sometimes, you know, kids giving you problems. Like, how do you deal with these problems? Like, you know, what I mean, like, how do I handle these kids? And kids are, you know, and and so I would say that people might have thought I was a mean coach when I was a young coach. Like, but I wasn't mean. I was just very firm. I was very, like, I didn't I didn't see it as meanness. I could see how other people could see it that way. Mm -hmm. But to me, I was just I'm just very firm. I'm very honest. I've always been a very honest person, mm -hmm. and, and a lot of kids couldn't take it. Like they couldn't take then. Oh yeah, they couldn't take it back then. Like mm -hmm. even back then, they couldn't take it. Mm -hmm. But, but they, but they understood it was part of the process, mm -hmm. and they just stayed. Mm -hmm. Like if you ever talk to like Mike Schmidt, he used to go to Naki, he'll tell you like fantastic player, played for Team Canada, ended up going to Texas A&M on a scholarship, and uh, he will tell you that he hated playing for me.
Mm-hmm. That's his language. He hated playing basketball for me. Why? Because he thought I was too tough. I thought I was too hard on him. I was too demanding, you know. And I was. I demanded a lot from people because I demanded a lot from myself. Mm-hmm. And I, my expectation was, listen, I'm not. I don't sit. I come up. I come up with a practice plan. I think about you know six weeks out. What should we? Where should we working at? Where mm-hmm. should we get at? You know, I'm 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 very organized around it. I'm I'm meticulous around detail, and and I expect you to be the same way in practice. And when you're not, and Mike wasn't when he was in grade nine, he just wasn't. He was fourteen. Mm-hmm. And I had Mike in the late '90s compared to when I had Sherman Hamilton and Michael Meeks in the early '90s. Mm-hmm. Who those guys? You don't have to motivate them. Like they're mm-hmm. self-motivated. They come every day. They're on time. They work hard. Mm-hmm. You know. They, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And then I have these other kids now who just feel like in my mind, and, I, and I'm and I'm probably wrong in my thinking. Trust me. Mm-hmm. But in my mind at the time, I'm thinking, like these kids, like they feel like I owe them something. Like 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 they're owed something that mm-hmm. somehow. This is their right to play basketball. And it's not mm-hmm. a privilege, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and so I was really hard on those guys, like in terms of just what my demands were from them, like in terms of effort, attitude. Mm-hmm. And if they didn't meet it, I just wouldn't play them. So I never, like, was like overly screaming at people. Mm-hmm. But I just wouldn't play you. <laughs> right. And this is a guy who's like a five-star player, and he doesn't understand why he's sitting on my bench rotting. Right. And that's because I just don't like his attitude. Mm-hmm. And you know, in the end, he changes. Anyway, ten. He's one of my like. I love Mike Schmidt now, and Mike Schmidt and me have a great relationship now. Right. But it's interesting hearing them talk about what it was like playing for me because I didn't see it that way. Yeah, well, but now, so now though, yeah. like in today's day, like I'm coaching kids now, even the kids at Sheridan, the kids on my bounce team. Yeah. I'm very careful about how I come across to them, and I'm way more. I explain more. Like I explain why I'm doing something now, as opposed to just tell them get online, just do it. Like I'm now explained because I think when they understand why, why I want them to do things a certain way, mm-hmm. they buy in more. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I'm now more open. Like I'm going, okay, what do you guys want to work on today? Like I'll even put that. I'll have a space in my practice plan for something they want to work on, mm-hmm. for something they want to do, mm-hmm. because I want to make them feel like it's not just about me or what I think. That they have actually actually have a voice in saying it. And I would have never have done that 30 years ago. Like never, mm-hmm. never even thought about that. You know what I mean? But as times have changed. And you have to find different ways to motivate players, and 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 now the stakes are much higher for kids. Yeah. And you know everybody's got a trainer. Everybody's got a you know personal coach. Yeah. Everybody's got like some people have nutrition. Parents are staying in the gym. They the drop parents them off. are watching yeah. every second of practice. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you have to. And and and, and I'm not worried. Cause I'm not. I'm not an abusive person in that sense. I'm not worried about that. Mm-hmm. But I do worry that you have to understand what buttons you can push to get the best out of somebody. Mm-hmm. And if I'd done, I think if I'd done a better job of that early on in my coaching career, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I think I think I would have helped a lot more kids. You know what I mean? I helped mm-hmm. a lot of kids. I think I would have helped a lot more kids. Because some kids, I think I've turned off from basketball. Mm-hmm. Like, I think some kids who played with me early and like just said, you know, this guy's an idiot. I'm not playing. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I can, and I can see it now. But, you know what I mean? But I didn't see it then. You know what I'm saying? And so I really appreciate... Um, you know, the, I think the game has changed in the sense in the way we coach the game, how we approach the game, but that's because we have to move with the times and people have changed. Like different generations of kids are different. They're motivated differently. There's different things that motivate them. And of course, there's some similarities. Of course, there's kids who remind you of the old days. These kids you yeah. never have to talk to. They yeah. work hard. They bust their ass. They're good. Yeah. And you hope that they are contagion, can, that, they're, that their energy can, is contagious and everyone else picks up on it. But... It's on us as coaches to change with the times. I don't think it's. I don't think it's. I don't think we should try and put 
like we can't be living in the 90s like we're coaching the 90s mm -hmm. and the 80s like mm -hmm. and think that somehow that's the way to coach today it's just not yeah. like back then we you know we were i never explained anything to a kid mm -hmm. just do it if you don't do it sit down mm -hmm. you know what i mean like I, I i my expectations were crazy but they were my expectations like now i ask kids like what do you want out of basketball mm -hmm. like why are you playing right like what are your expectations you know what i mean yeah. And how do I help you meet those expectations as opposed to meeting my expectations? Yeah. Like, I don't keep one loss record. I don't care about it. I have no idea how many basketball games I've won or how many I've lost. Mm -hmm. it's, so un it's so unimportant to me. Mm -hmm. it it's just completely unimportant to me. Mm -hmm. What's important to me is, like, every day are these kids getting better? And if they're not, then how can I help them get better? Like, that's all that matters. Yeah, it seems to me that, and this just came to me as you were talking, but it seems like, it isn't, maybe it's not so much the kids who've changed, but us, the coaches have changed in regards to our maturity. Because from all the interviews I've been doing with the guys, you know, even for myself, you know, like you just grow as a man. You live a little. Absolutely. You understand life. Yep. Um, and so you, you, I think it's, we've changed. You know, you know, as you get older, you come a little bit softer, you get married, you have kids, uh, you know, your heart opens up a bit more. Yeah, I, well, I think I think I think I think life experiences, of course, changes you, right? Your mm -hmm. life experiences. And I think as a young coach, you don't have enough experiences. Mm -hmm. You just don't have enough to draw from. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and that's why it's important to me that all coaches continue to learn, continue to read, continue to have different experiences. You know what I mean? I had some opportunities to go to France and coach uh, many years ago with one of my bounce teams, and that really opened up my eyes. I got to talk to some different coaches over there, mm -hmm. talk about some of the things they're doing, how they're doing basketball, how things are different. Like, like why, why do your guards never turn the ball over? Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, like what's going on there? Like, yeah. if you know, like, and so, we, so you, you, the more experiences you have, um, and, and I wouldn't even necessarily say that I've gotten softer because mm -hmm. I still have high demands of my players. Mm -hmm. Like my demands are high mm -hmm. and my truth level is just as high. Like I'm very truthful with kids. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, there's no point to me in, in not being truthful with kids mm -hmm. and young people. So I think, but I do think that my experiences and my perspectives have completely changed over the years to the point where I do understand that I do have a responsibility to to think about what the needs of that person is as opposed to my own needs. Yeah, it's funny you say, you know, being truthful with kids. So uh, as the story goes, and I think it was like 1995, uh, I wanted to try out for the Brampton Blue Devil Rep team. Mm -hmm. And so I, I made a bet with my dad. I was like, okay, look, dad, uh, if I make if I make the rep team, you have to buy me a pair of a Jordan 11s, Concord <laughs> 11s. So I'm like, if I make the team, so I, you know, I was a pretty confident guy. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to make this team and get my Jordan 11s. And, you know, so I go to the tryout. Long story short, I didn't make it. Um, you cut me. And... And basically, I got sent down to House League and ended up playing for Alvin. But that was the first time I was actually, you know, I, I, I tried out for a team. Because the whole time I've, I've been playing a lot of street ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it yeah. probably showed. <laughs> it probably showed. So when you cut me, but, you know, you told, you know, all the guys who made the team to go into the change room and the guys who didn't make it to stay there. And then you called us up one by one um, and explained to us why we didn't make the team. Enjoying the show? Well, you can show your appreciation by sharing this episode with a friend. You can also take a trip down memory lane by leaving a comment. You can contact Darnell on Facebook or on Instagram and Twitter at Dugada Darnell. That's D-O-G-U-D-D-A underscore Darnell. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. Uh, and you were 
honest. I'm not going to say brutally honest. You were gently honest. Mm-hmm. And you were like, you know what, Darnell? Uh, you know, you don't understand the game. You don't have a left hand. You can't <laughs> catch the ball. You dribble with your head down. You dribble too much. You know, you don't finish. It was just, it was just a list of things. Um, and I left. I didn't, I, when I left, I didn't feel uh, dejected. Uh, which I, which most people would think, you know, like, oh man, you'll screw Coach Nicky. What does he know? Uh, you know, but it was, it was it's one a good of those question. Yeah, yeah, no, no, but, no. But it was one of those things where I said, oh wow, okay, I got things to work on. Yeah. Um, and I ended up, you know, improving. Uh, but in in terms of like cutting players, you know, what's your approach to that? Because you know, the rejection and people trying to avoid rejection and it could be a traumatic experience. So how, how do you deal with that? Well, it. it it, it all depends on the level too, right? So first, mm-hmm. like when I'm talking about my club team, like right now I'm coaching a bunch of grade 10 boys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're 14 to 15 year olds. And I'm having my tryouts on coming up in a couple of days, right? And I'm going to have to make cuts. But my approach is this. Is I think if you took the time to come out, and I think it takes some level of courage to come and, and kind of put yourself out there and try and make something, I believe that takes mm-hmm. some level of courage. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, and I think I think you deserve to hear why you didn't make it. I don't think it's just fair to cut someone and then send them home. Like mm-hmm. they they deserve. Some people don't want to hear it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. And they don't. And I say, listen, if, I'll tell you if you don't want to. You know, let me know. But I will tell you because I I have a pretty um, my memory is pretty pretty good. I watch things. I I take note of things. And I actually feel it more of the people who don't make it than the people who do make it. Like I do, and I mm-hmm. and I really do believe that. It's really important that they don't walk away from that experience hating basketball mm-hmm. or thinking that they're no good. Right. I want them to walk away from the experience thinking that there's potential there and here are the things you need to do and you may reach that potential. Yeah. And I always offer kids. I don't know if I did then, but I do right now. So I don't, I'm pretty sure I didn't because I don't think the Blue Devils would have let me do it back then. But now that I kind of, you know, take care of my own stuff in terms of gyms and everything like that. Um, most people I cut, I say, if you want to come, we work out every Sunday, you can, you're free to come and you can help get better. I, mm-hmm. I offer that to everybody I cut. Mm-hmm. Like I say, listen, you're free to work out, work out with us still. We're, the gym's here. We're here from Saturday and Sundays from 2.30 till 4 o'clock. You're welcome to come. Mm-hmm. Now, you're not on the team, but you're welcome to come and work out with the team. Yeah. And a lot of kids, surprisingly, have taken me up on that. Surprisingly? I'm surprised by it. Like, you know, like, like I'm, I'm trying to put myself, I'm trying to put myself in their shoes. Mm-hmm. I'm probably going to go find another team to play for. Yeah. And I don't have to worry about those practices. I'm not going to come to this practice. But you know what? It's been it's been really nice to see kids come out. And you know what? A couple of those kids over the last three or four years, end up, I end up putting them on the team halfway through the year. Yeah. You know? Because they're there every day. They're more dependable than the kids you picked. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> they're there every week. They work yeah. hard. Uh, and you can see them getting better. Like you can just see the improvement. So I always, I, even at Sheridan College, mm-hmm. when we make our cuts, and walk-ons. Yeah. Walk-ons. When we, and we make our cuts and we, we tell people why they didn't make it. We often invite them to come. You keep, like, wait till we pick the team. Mm-hmm. Wait till the team's finished completely being picked. But you're welcome to come practice. We practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, season of the Times. You're welcome to drop in and practice if you want to improve. Mm-hmm. So we still offer that because, because I, don't, I don't want anyone walking away hating basketball or, or being turned off from the sport that I think uh, for a lot of kids, it's actually going to help them in life, in terms yeah. of life skills and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, it's interesting because, okay, so the basketball landscape in the GTA has changed mm-hmm. since the 90s and when I was playing in that, like, when I got cut, 
I got, you know, you basically got demoted. That's the right word. Yes. Uh, and sent down to the minor league, which is our house league. Right. Um, and, you know, that's where you have to prove yourself in a way and work yourself up. So that's exactly what happened for a lot of us. Uh, Moose, I played with Moose when I got um, sent down and uh, a couple other guys who ended up later going on to play rep and moving up. Uh, but the landscape is different in that, you know, people just because there's more rep teams or rep or AAU teams, uh, players are kind of like it's kind of like the NBA in a sense where guys kind of shop around to see. Uh, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, because you got to, I guess, find the best situation for you. But instead of like you cut me and I'm like, OK, yo, soft things, I'm just going to go to play for the Monarchs, get cut from the Monarchs. OK, yo, soft. I was going to go to Etobicoke yeah, or Scarborough. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and usually there's like four teams in Brampton, four teams in Saga, yeah. four teams in Scarborough versus the one that, you, you know, the one main representative. So do you think that's, that's kind of changed the way players deal with the whole cutting, making a team process? Well, here's what happens now. I don't know if you're aware of this, but most people try out for multiple teams. They're not just trying out for one team waiting to get cut. Mm-hmm. Like we had a kid last year who... I thought was good enough to play on our team. Mm-hmm. And I find out from his dad when we're about to make cuts that he's actually been trying out for three other teams mm-hmm. and that he's been offered a spot. So his dad's kind of basically telling me, my son's already been offered a spot on these three other teams, so if you don't want him, that's okay. And I'm thinking, like, why would you think I don't want your kid? Like, your kid's good. Like, mm-hmm. he's actually, and I, and I don't think he's great, but I think he's he has real potential. He, has a, he works hard. I love mm-hmm. the kid. Like, I actually mm-hmm. like the kid. Mm-hmm. And I said... Okay, well, you gotta do what's best for you. Like, you know, I'm not gonna force you, but I'm not. You're not forcing me to make a decision today because I'm not making a decision today. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I like your son. I think he's good. I think he has potential, but these are some pretty intense tryouts. We have lots. It's bounced. Like a lot of good kids come out. Like, oh, yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. tough tryout, yeah. and I can't make that determination now. So, anyways, he took his kid left and went and played in this other club team, and then we played them at some point during the year, mm-hmm. and he said, um, "Well, you know, you know." Um, it's too bad we didn't play for a bounce. I said, you know, your son would have made the team. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, I can't believe you didn't bring him back, but he would have made the team. But he was like three or four kids on my team. They've been trying out for multiple teams and right. trying to figure out which one they're going to make. And if they make one, but they actually want to be on this one, they will hold off on telling this person that they've made, that they're going to sign up them until they figure out where they are and the, with the team they want. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's just interesting. So I know that, and I know that going in, and so I, I take that. And so people try and make me make my team quicker, but I don't pick my team till January. Mm-hmm. Most of the other club teams are going to have theirs done by the end of September. You don't, you wait till January? Yes. Why? Because of the, after you get to grade nine, it's not like in the old days when there's a tournaments all through the year. There's no tournaments until after high school's done now mm-hmm. in March. Right. And you don't start till after March. Right. So we have no tournaments to play. So what's my rush to pick a team? I just have the kids come out every Sunday or whenever my practice, and we just train. I just train them to see who's getting better. Mm-hmm. And I like to keep 16, 17, 18 guys just to train them and see who gets better. Mm-hmm. And I tell them, like, listen, feel free to play somewhere else if you want. Like, But in January or second or third week of January, I'll actually pick my 12 guys or my 11 guys or my 10 guys um, bec- and now get those guys ready for AU season in March where we'll start practicing twice a week. You know what I mean? Because there's no game. There's no games. There's no tournament. There's just nothing. If you're in grade six, seven, eight, there's lots of stuff in the September. The thing you'd have to make a decision, but I just say there's no. So there's no rush for high school anymore, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so a lot of people hate that I do that, you know. And uh, but I I encourage them to keep trying out for other teams. And if you find another place, 
knock yourself out. Like, don't. I'm not going to be upset. Mm-hmm. I'm still going to have a pretty okay team, and so don't worry about it. But that's the, that's the nature of the beast now. And uh, so yeah, so cutting is weird. You don't oftentimes you have to cut anybody. Like before it's all said and done, you're left with twelve kids who who figure out that we're probably the ones who are going to make it. <laughs> right. And the other ones have already signed up with other clubs and everything's cool. And if they're not, one of the things I do is like when there's kids who don't know, I tell their parents, I can help you find a club if you need one. Oh, wow. That's cool. Because I know most of the coaches on the other clubs. I know which coaches need players. Yeah. Yeah. Because we try and do, I try and do it all the time. Like I've done it. I've done, done it for years. Yeah. I'll just say, hey, you know what? Kids not good enough to play on this team. But you know what? Yeah. Like, you know, Northern Kings has a team that doesn't travel. Yeah. And they always need good kids like your kid. And so take, I had a kid who did that last year, played Northern Kings. But he's and I'm, he's going to come back and try out for me again this year. Yeah. Uh, but um, just wasn't right there yet. You know what I mean? But a good player. Nice kid. Yeah. But when you, you know, you have so much to choose from. And, and, and I have a real weird philosophy around picking. I don't necessarily need to take the 12 best players. No. I need the 12 best players who play well together. Yes, that's right. Chemistry. Yeah. Yeah, so I need people who are willing to accept roles and do yeah, different things. Yeah, you're not trying things. to stack your team. Well, but it's not even, like, to me, that is, like, to me, if I get two guys who can rebound the yeah. ball well and three guys who are good individual defenders mm-hmm. and a couple guys who are really good team defenders and yeah. a couple of guys who can put the ball in the basket, three or four, a yeah. couple of guys who can shoot the ball, that, to me, is a pretty stacked team. Yeah. It may not be the 12 best guys in the gym, Yeah, but it's a pretty stacked team. Yeah, but, that, but, that's, but that's the correct way to do it. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's, that's true. I never thought about the concept of, uh, the networking between all the coaches and like all the interviews I've been doing, you know, all the guys are in different programs, yeah. but we all know each other. Absolutely. So, you know what I mean? And it's, it's a weird, not weird. It's pretty cool because now you could be like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Davio. Davio's over. Yeah. Have, um, what are those guys. Okay. Yo, you know, I know they need guys or whatever the case may be. And what? even like you look at the numbers wise in regards to cutting, um, the pool is spread out. Yes. So you're not going to get 40 guys to come in for a tryout or 30 guys. You know, it might be 15 or yeah. 17. Well, last year we had 85 at Bounce. Well, you, well you guys are about. Well, you guys are about. Oh, it's crazy, though. Like, it's outrageous. But, like, I send a couple. I send a, I, but when I send guys, I don't tell the coach I'm sending a guy. I just tell the kid, Yeah. this is a tryout. Go here. Like, yeah. like I sent a kid to, to grassroots last year. Um, and he had a great year with grassroots. His dad calls me all the time. And he's, like, yeah. super happy. He's, like, yeah. super thankful. And... But whenever I practice in Miss Rockville, that kid comes to my practice. Yeah. I let him come. Yeah, yeah. You're more than welcome. Can I cut you? You can still come. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I said, but don't miss a grassroots practice because you come to my practice. Like, mm-hmm. make sure you're, you're, you're loyal to your team. You're doing what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And the kid's great. And the kid's super happy about it. He's going to be, the kid's going to be a hell of a player because he's so hungry. Mm-hmm. He just was, he had just never played basketball. Last year was his first year ever played basketball. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so now he had a, he had a great little season with, with grassroots and, mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to it. Me and his dad just talked like two weeks ago, and his dad's like, "Yeah, you're looking forward to the season." Like, it's that, like they're cool. Like when you're good with people, mm-hmm. they're good with you. And I said, your son, "I said, honestly, your son's not ready for this level of basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, he may not even be ready for a level of basketball at grassroots, mm-hmm. but they're always looking for kids, and they and they rarely turn kids down because they just have, they run that kind of program where they're cool like that. You know, what yeah. I mean? Like they just they really turn kids away, right? What I love about them, yeah. they'll just do two teams. You know, what I mean, yeah. like what I love about them, right? Yeah, and. Uh, and so I know if he went there that they were going to make a home, and they did. And then he ended up, he actually was not a bad player. He just wasn't, you know, at the level we needed for us. But he was good, man, and he's going to be really good. They got they got themselves a gem. He's going to be a fantastic player. And I told him he should be loyal to those people. They supported him. They, you know, they took him in when he hadn't played, and they gave him, a, 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 you know, a vehicle to, to display what he could do and what he can't do. Yeah. 
And I said, you need to be loyal to those guys. And that, and that coach who took you on, good dude, man. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, like, in regards to the selection process, I know you're part of, you said you're part of the national... Coaching pool. Coaching pool. Yes. So, so you're part of the selection process. Well, we go there whenever they have tryouts, whenever they have camps. We go there and we give them feedback and we help them with the drills. And yes, of course, we sit in the room sometimes and help them debate which players should stay on and which shouldn't stay on. Absolutely, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at you as the professional and identifying talent, right? <laughs> so that's, that's a bit too high praise. Okay, but yeah. all right. Well. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. Go ahead. Yeah, so, like, what is it you're looking for? What What is that factor when you walk into the gym to, to identify, like, okay, yeah, that's the kid. That's somebody special. Yeah. Well, when you're talking about the national team, it's a completely different thing. When you're talking, So I was with the cadet team for... Two and a half years. And sorry, what's the cadet team? Which is like our, our Canadian national cadet team, which is for kids uh, at the time was 16 and 17, 15 and 16 year olds. Okay. Right? And it's part of the two-year process. You play in the FIBA Americas, then you go play in the World Cup if you qualify. Okay. So we qualified for the FIBA Americas, then we came in second, then we qualified for the World Cup. Um, and so when you're picking teams like that through that national team program, when you're picking the, the teams, what you're looking for is Basketball Canada has a set of criteria and a set of um, what I'd call goals they're trying to achieve and maintain and, and, and get to. And, they're, and they run a particular type of system. Like they run a certain types of plays. They run a certain type of defense. So you need to find players that actually can play the type of basketball they want the national team to play. So you're looking for people with a specific skill set. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And specific talents and specific traits. Um, you know what I mean? So it's not like if I'm picking a team for Sheridan or I'm picking a team for Pound. Really? You know, you know it's, it's a little bit different because at Bounce and Sheridan, we don't have, because Basketball Canada has a short time period. With the national team, you see the kids in Easter and then you really get them though in June. And you really have three or four weeks before you go on this international tournament. So you have to come with a preconceived set of ways in which you're going to play. You can't sit there and just pick kids and then figure out what system you're going to play and then go play because the time frame doesn't allow it. You know what I mean? You have to pick players that are going to fit that particular system. At Sheridan, and with my club team, what we do is we pick the best players we think that are in the gym, like who we think are the best for the types of things we want to do, and then we build a system around them. Like at Sheridan, one year we may be a fast break crazy team. The next year we may be walk the ball up the court. It all depends on the talent that walks in the gym. But we have a longer period of time to develop a system based on the talent that we have in the gym. Whereas Basketball Canada doesn't have that kind of luxury, you know what I mean? So they got to come in and pick very particular types of players who can play a particular type of basketball and who can be effective on that that, that level on national stage. So, you know what I mean? It's just a little bit different. I mean, any kid who's played for Basketball Canada who understands how to make good reads out of a screen role as a point guard probably has a better chance of making the team than just a good one-on-one point guard. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Because they run a lot of sets out of screen roles. So they Mm -hmm. need guards who can make good reads. You know, and who can make good decisions out of that. Whereas at Sheridan, if we don't have a guard who can do that, then we run a different type of system. But they don't have time to change the system because the window to get ready for these world championships and these um, qualifiers is short. And so you got to come in with a really preconceived set of ideas of what it is you're trying to do, run and achieve. And you got to p- pick players that kind of fit into that. Whoa. Okay. Uh, that's. The, I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out because, you know, sometimes, you know, 
the talks around for years, the talks around the national team have always been like, oh, why didn't he make it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's these it's politics, this politics, and this and that. There's politics and everything. Don't get me wrong around uh-huh. that. There's politics and everything. But I'm just saying that the the window in which they have to work with is so small that there has to be deliberate choices made against what it is they're trying to accomplish and achieve in terms of the types of style they want to play mm-hmm. that make that a helps make it easier for the types of players you're going to pick mm-hmm. but it's the only way you're going to be able to go somewhere and in three weeks be ready to play argentina in argentina or you know what i mean go and play france out in china mm-hmm. you know what i mean you have to and so it's hard right you know what i mean and of course of course there's people who feel slighted by it sometimes and feel they've been cheated and maybe there have been people who've done that there, there, there could very well be that as well and maybe there could be a misread on the part of the people who are selecting these teams, right? There could be, for sure. Mm-hmm. What really it boils down to is just you have a small window, you got a lot of decisions to make in a short period of time, and you have to have your choices made against something. Like, it, mm-hmm. there just can't be random choices. So they think, this is what we're going to run this year, so who do we have in this pool of people who can help us run that well? Okay, so then what coaches have influenced you as a coach in regards to um, the way you approach the game because you, you seem very knowledgeable on being able to pick out was that was there a particular coach that made you just see the game in a whole new light well <clears throat> excuse me I, I would say that coach Flack at Sheridan has had a huge influence really yeah just because he's a he, he's really open to experimentation uh-huh. which I love as a coach because I'm open to it as a coach as well mm-hmm. he's not this guy trying to put a square peg in a round hole. Mm-hmm. We'll look at the players we have. Uh, like we just had our tryouts this week and we had our, you know, we basically picked our team this week and now we're going to decide what we're going to run. We haven't decided what we're going to run yet. Mm-hmm. We're going to say, okay, here's what we have. What's the best thing we can run with this group of people we have. Mm-hmm. And then we're always willing to say two months in, you know what? That's a really bad choice. Can we switch that and try yeah. something else? Yeah. And so I appreciate the experimentation, the, uh, he allows you to fail. Um, he doesn't take it personal, mm-hmm. and he knows our best interests at heart. And I, so I like his style of coaching. So when I coach, I've taken a lot of that. I I try new things all the time. I try not to be. This is the only way we play basketball. No, mm-hmm. we can play different ways of basketball depending on who we have. Mm-hmm. So if I have twelve people who try it out and four of them are very slow, we're probably not going to run cycles this year, <laughs> which right. is our fast break offense. Right. You know what I mean? And, but we're going to be all right. We're just going to have to run something else that plays to these people's strengths. Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing I learned from him. Let's play to these people's strengths. Now, I've always been that kind of person naturally. Mm-hmm. But Coach Flack has allowed us to do it on a pretty big stage. Like, we're one of the best college teams in the country. Yes, oh, yes, we for years. Well every for year. years, yes. And he's allowed us to experiment, play, toy. Yeah. And he's he doesn't. He doesn't feel it's his team, it's our team. Yeah. He doesn't, you know, he, he's okay with me coaching three days in the week and yeah. him just sitting back and chilling. Yeah. He's okay with us taking over timeouts. Like, yeah. it's just, it's his approach to coaching is much, much more, um, what I would say, uh, collaborative. Yeah. And so I like that collaborative approach. And then that collaboration to me includes players. So he's influenced me. In terms of um, professional coaches, like my, like the coach who I, you know, I got to go to a seminar once with Hubie Brown. Um, you you worked at Hubie Brown? No, I got to go to a session once oh. and he was talking it. 
I didn't work with him at oh, all. Oh, okay, okay. Oh. No, no, no. Don't get don't get it twisted. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. was like giving a coaching clinic. He was at a, he was one of the coaches at a coaching clinic, and I was a guest at the clinic, yeah. like a participant. Mm-hmm. And just the way he talks about basketball, there's mm-hmm. real clarity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the way he explains things, which is now I'm. I do the exact same thing now, mm-hmm. uh, just being very clear mm-hmm. about what we're trying to do, very clear about why we're doing things. Yeah. And if you ever go see Hubie Brown, like do a clinic, you'll be blown away. Like you can only get better going to Hubie Brown clinic. Like you can only, because he's, there's no ambiguity around what's going mm-hmm. on. He's very clear. The reason why you need to sprint to the corners mm-hmm. in any fast break drill is to flatten out the defense so the point guard with the ball can have an opportunity to just beat his man mm-hmm. and you flatten out the defense. If you don't flatten out the defense, then the guy who's guarding your forward or your guard who's stopped at the, at the foul line extended and the 45 is now in a position to help guard your point guard. Yeah, like, yeah. He makes it clear. Like, it's like, well, okay, you know, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it's, that's know. a good point because I got excited when you said Hubie Brown uh, because uh, I was listening to Earl Watson. He was on a podcast yeah. and he was talking about the best coach he ever had was Earl, uh, was uh, was Hubie Brown. No, Hubie Brown is there's just a real clarity around that, and so I so I have I have, I the principle of making sure you're always being very clear mm-hmm. and you're explaining the why mm-hmm. is the Hubie Brown way. This is mm-hmm. the why you have to do it this way. So now you either buy in or you don't buy in, mm-hmm. and and I just find players like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Like they really appreciate knowing why I need you to set the screen this way mm-hmm. or why I need you to flatten out this. This this head, you know, what mm-hmm. I mean, like I like they appreciate it because mm-hmm. now I'm not just telling them to do it. Yeah. it. Here's the reason why, and then I often walk them through what happens if you don't do it. Yeah, right, and how this is why. See, like if you don't run here, look what happens here. So Hubie's been one of those guys, and if I think about from a college coaching perspective, mm-hmm. um, one of the coaches I, I I've loved him since the '90s when he used to come to Canada when he used to coach a much smaller uh, Division One school is Leonard Hamilton, who's at Florida State, um, and that guy. He came. He used, to, he used to recruit a couple of guys on my nappies team mm-hmm. um, when I was coaching Danny Ampunza, Mike Schmidt, Jamal McGlure, all these guys. I used to play for my nappies team. And he was recruiting. He would never tell me who he was recruiting, but he would come to my practices. He'd come to some of our games. And mm-hmm. he's coming from the States. And he would sit down and he would talk me. Like, he'd always be there early. Like I, he, When I got to practice early, he'd always be there in the gym. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he got in our gyms. I don't know who let him in or who he paid to get in the gym, but he was mm-hmm. always there. And I, he, we would just talk and he would tell me things like, you see that guy over there? Give me 10 of those guys. I'll give all 10 of them scholarships. I go, well, what is it about me like? And he would go, okay, look at how hard he works. Like, just watch him. He goes after every ball. His activity's high. Mm-hmm. He's all over the floor. He never gets a shot. There's no place for him. He never pouts. He just sprints. He sprints. He sprints. Mm-hmm. Give me 10 of those guys. I'll give him scholarships. Mm-hmm. I go, well, you're going to give that guy a scholarship? He goes, I'd love to give him a scholarship, but I'm not going to get him. This kid got a scholarship somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I guess he had known before I knew. Yeah. He knew some of the schools were recruiting him. Mm-hmm. But he would always point out those things to me, right? And tell me, um, you know. Um, and that's how you know. Well, he just says, like, this is what you want. You want kids like this. You can. He said to me, he told me at one point, why would you ever cut the hardest working kid in the gym? No matter how bad his basketball skills point. are. That's a good point. Because why would you ever cut that kid? That's a good point. Because he said even if the kid never becomes a great basketball player, his work ethic and practice is going to embarrass the other kids or raise them up mm-hmm. to be just as good as him. Mm-hmm. And you know what? He ne- that has never failed me, picking the hardest worker in the gym. Never okay. failed me. What, okay. what helps is when your hardest worker is your best player. Yeah. Like when I had Sherman Hamilton, mm-hmm. who was my hardest worker mm-hmm. and my best player. Sherman Hamilton from the Raptors yeah. commentator. He was an amazing player. Yeah. And he was like the hardest worker, 
and the best player. <laughs> so that's a bonus, you know what I mean? Wow. Yeah. So you, you've coached a lot of guys. So just, okay, let's just quickly play a name game, mm-hmm. uh, word association. I say the name, and you say the first thing that comes to mind, okay? Mm-hmm. So Sherman Hamilton. Great leader. Okay. Michael Meeks. Ridiculously talented. <laughs> a lot of people don't know how good Michael Meeks was when he was in high school. Really? And this is in light of Denim Brown and all that. Michael Meeks, because he went to Cardinal Leger, it was like a small school in Brampton. Mm-hmm. People didn't understand just how good he was. Like mm-hmm. he went down, he ended up going to Canisius on a scholarship. How tall was he? He was around six eight at the time when mm-hmm. he was in high school, six mm-hmm. seven, six eight. Mm-hmm. But he could shoot the ball, he could defend, he could handle the rock. He was a great teammate. He worked hard. Mm-hmm. He was just such a good, like, he was so good. Like, and people just didn't know, like, I didn't know. He tried out for my team. We're like, one. I remember at the tryout around, around half an hour trying to have his tryout. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know him. He just showed up at this tryout. Mm-hmm. We have no idea who he is. I mean, mm-hmm. I know a little bit about him, but I don't know him. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I've heard about him, but I've never yeah. seen him play. And one of the guys was helping me with that team, a guy named Garnett Gibson. Around half an hour, and Garnett goes, okay, so you know you cannot cut that guy. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I think I figured out. He goes, no, no, you know you cannot cut that guy. <laughs> and we didn't even know his name, right? And, and then he ends up being Michael Meeks, and he was yeah. just amazing. And so when you go to – I used to go watch him play in college. Mm-hmm. I used to go to his games. Yeah. Like I went to a couple of his games in college. Yeah. And he, the coach at the time was Jim Beeline. He was not mm-hmm. the coach at – well, not an NBA coach at Cleveland. He was a coach at Michigan last mm-hmm. year. Beeline was coach, and Beeline – just loved him and like just found out he got gold. The guy just an un, unbelievable talent and then really never like just never kind of got his due in the city as a great player, but he's an amazing player. Okay. Uh coach Alvin Noel. Alvin. Okay, let me see. How would I describe Alvin? Okay. Um intriguing. That would be my word for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always thought Alvin had so much talent um and so much ability and I just I always wish as a coach that he was just a bit more forceful around who he was because he worked hard. He had a great work ethic. He really took care of himself. He had a nice jump shot. He was quick. Just a nice, quiet kid. I just wish he was – I mean, I don't know how he is now as an adult. You know what I mean? I, I talked mm-hmm. to him here and there, and he mm-hmm. played for us one year at Sheridan. But I just wish that when I was coaching him that he would just have been a more take-charge guy mm-hmm. as opposed to that. I wanted him, He needed to be more of a leader. Mm-hmm. You know, because I mean? he had lots of ability. He's yeah. a good player. Well, uh, me playing for him in house league, um, he was yeah. He definitely encouraged me to be more of a leader. Yeah, um, he, and actually, everybody loves him. Actually, you, know, you ask most of the players that play for him. You no, know, I was a good guy. Man. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's good. He's uh, good okay, next is Manny Dosanch. Manny, he ended up going out of the coach. State. Manny, he, yeah. Where did he go? To? He went to uh, Ivy League school, did he not? Uh, no, no. He uh, he went to um, where did he go? I, uh, it was uh, a Christian school. Um, I have to look it up. Okay. Well, Manny, um, as a player, uh, Manny was outstanding. Manny had a great work ethic. That's how I would describe him. Great work ethic, great attitude. He was a super, super, super smart kid uh, and great to be around. He's a really good, to me, uh, example of the type of kid you want around all your other kids because he comes on time, he works hard, he gives you everything he's got, and he had lots of talent. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, he went to Oral Roberts. Yeah. Yeah, he went, he went to Oral Roberts. Uh, how about uh, Maurice Moose-Smith? Gunner. It's only language. Never saw a shot he didn't like. Um, but he was, uh, Maurice is a very confident kid. 
always believed in himself, had lots of confidence, and that confidence took him far, and he could shoot the crap out of the basketball. Like, he was just a fantastic shooter and uh, and was just wasn't afraid. Like, there was never, I, I love people who aren't afraid, and, and Moose wasn't afraid of failing. He was never, you would never question, he was always going to take the big shot. He would never yeah. even think about it. Uh, if he made it, great. If he missed it, don't worry. I'm taking the next one. Like he just had that kind of attitude, which is a good attitude to have for the basketball player. Shoot till you make, make till you miss. Yeah, that was that was Moose's attitude. <laughs> okay, and Jerome Mouse Robinson, aka the Heartbreak Chef. That's what you guys call him. That's what he calls himself. That's what he is. He's the Heartbreak Chef. Oh yes, now. I know. That's what he does, right? <laughs> yeah, I forgot. Well, no, I didn't forget about that. Um. Uh, Mouse was probably the best leader. Um, him and Sherman Hamilton might be the two best leaders I've ever coached in just terms of people who took a team, uh, took charge of it, and made sure that it didn't fall apart when it had every possibility of falling apart depending mm-hmm. on the people on it. And they took real ownership and real pride in being part of something, and they weren't going to let it fail. And that's why, I'm, I mean, I have a crap load of trophies from Mouse playing on my team. Mm-hmm. We won lots and lots of tournaments, lots of games, and a lot of it was just his leadership. He's a yeah. really good leader. Yeah, yeah, no, um, that's where I learned to be a good leader, playing alongside him at ND, mm-hmm. um, and me and him fighting for position and competing with him, and even his his, his cockiness, yeah. I loved it, because it always brought out the best in me. Like, as soon yeah. as he starts talking, I'm like, okay, now I gotta shut this guy up. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, he's um, just playing alongside him, um, yeah, it's really blessed me. Um, and even just seeing him in the kitchen when I go to a restaurant and see him, um, it's the same leadership you see him navigating the kitchen with in seriousness. So, yeah, yeah, he's a good dude. Uh, Sean Douglas. Sean, was Sean, Sean um, to me, is... I, 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 my, here's my word for Sean. I think Sean's a winner. A lot of people don't know what I mean by that. It's not about winning games and winning stuff, although he's won lots of games and he's had a pretty great career at Sheridan. But um, I remember I took Sean to the Martin Luther King tournament uh, in Montreal when he was in his first year at Sheridan. I took a bunch of guys down there. It was the 25th anniversary of the Martin Luther King tournament. Mm-hmm. It was a great tournament. And uh, we were playing this Boston team in the final, and we got to the final. And uh, Sean was having a hell of a tournament, just playing fantastic. Just had a really good tournament. And we get down the stretch, and we're, we're down one to this team, and there's a foul called, and someone got hurt. And anyways, there's a big delay in the game. But, uh, you know, at the time of the foul happened, the ball was going to go to the other team. But after the delay was so long, the refs kind of forgot, and they were giving us the ball to inbound into the basket. Mm-hmm. And now I knew that it should have been the other team's ball, and so did Sean. So Sean goes to the ref, wants to say to the referee, hey, ref, like, it's not our ball. And I'm going, well, yo, dude, what are you doing, man? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. no, no, this is, like, anyways, we get the ball. We don't, we end up inbound the ball. Um, we get a layup out of it. We win the game on the bus. We win the Martin Luther King tournament. And mm-hmm. We get the game on the bus. And I'm looking at Sean, why would you tell the ref that? And he goes, because it's not, like, it wasn't our ball. And I'm going, okay, I know, but mm-hmm. <laughs> we're trying to win the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not our fault that they yeah. forgot and we yeah. shouldn't help encourage him. But, but he was that kind of guy where he, he has good values, good morals, yeah. good principles. Um, and I know... He was just trying to do the right thing, mm-hmm. and I, I, and I, maybe I should have encouraged him to do that. Maybe I should have let the other team have the ball. But yeah, it was Montreal. It was stand up dude, King. man. But he was a stand up guy. Yeah. And so I call those people winners, and he wins a lot because of it. Like yeah. He, like good things happen to people like that. Yeah. You yeah. Know what I mean, that's what I say. Yeah. Okay, and uh, my little cousin, Dwayne Biggie Mark. Oh, Biggie. 
Biggie. Biggie to me had so much potential, uh, and he was such a nice kid. Like I really enjoyed the time he played with us at Sheridan. We had, um, and I and I and I wish that Biggie nothing but the best for that guy because he was the nicest for a guy as big as he was and as intimidating as he was. Like physically, look at him, the nicest guy and had the nicest heart and was a kind person and was a very very good basketball player. Very skilled around the rim. Great footwork, fast for a guy his size. Um, should have played football. I think he would have been a professional football player if he had chosen football as a kid. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how about Coach Ro Russell? Ro. <laughs> I, I played the men's league team with Ro uh, when Ro was just could finished college. Yeah, he's a good player. He's a really good player. Solid, okay. solid okay. player. Okay. Uh, I mean, he was a solid player. He was like, I mean, he wasn't like, you know, like a superstar. Yeah. But he was solid. He was a good player. Yeah. Very good player. Good understanding of the game. He played with us one year in men's league. Uh, the thing I'd say about Roe is that Roe has always been a big dreamer, um, always been very ambitious, um, and those are really good traits. And on the basketball court, if you, in terms of a basketball player, that vision um, helped him see you know, where the game could go, mm-hmm. and he helped grow the game in Toronto in a way that people don't want to admit, but he has helped grow the game. You know? and, uh, and, I, and I always... Um, you know, I still talk with Ro, and uh, and, I, and that's one of the reasons why I send kids to grassroots whenever mm-hmm. they have an opportunity because I actually know that if I send the kid and I tell Ro, I send the kid, Ro's going to take care of the kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I like Ro yeah. in that sense. Uh, and Coach Tony McIntyre, the bounce. Tony, Tony Mac. <laughs> T Mac is a he's a, he's a good guy. He's a got a, he's got a, he's a got a good soul uh, and he's got good intentions. Um, he works hard. I, he's one of the hardest working guys I know in terms of just trying to get things done. Sometimes I think he tries to do too much by himself, mm-hmm. and he'd be really helpful if he delegated sometimes. But his heart's in the right place. He cares greatly about the game. He's got some amazing children, like just amazing kids. All of them are, like, wonderful. And you have to assume that comes from good parenting, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it, where, else, where else can it come from, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and he's another person who's just really helped, um, along with Mike George with CIA Bounce, it really just helped um, really solidify the club team system in the city of Toronto, like really took it to a next level right. uh, in terms of, you know, getting teams sponsored and, um, and and getting in the UIBL. We're the first team in, in the UIBL. Yeah, well, yeah, because they bounced. I would, I would consider the best team in the country, the best AU program in the country. Well, you know, I mean, I mean, I think there's some other programs who may, who may want to lay claim to that, but until... Yeah. But until eh. you know they do the things that eh. we've done at Bounce, <laughs> until they do the things that we've done at, at CIA and at Bounce, I just don't think they can lay that claim just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I and I think and I think Tony deserves a lot of credit for where of course, is, you of know course, I mean? and uh, and uh, and I just think sometimes people don't want to give him that credit, but he he deserves it. And uh, and but so does Mike George, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so lastly, let's have a hypothetical scenario. I actually made the team, <laughs> that rough team, right? And uh, and you know, there's guys on that team, or even me, not putting forth the effort, just having an off day. How would you motivate me and or the guys to um, pick it up and continue to push? Yeah, it's 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 hard, you know, because the only, the best way to motivate someone is to get to know them. And I think as coaches, our job is through the course of a season to get to know our players and know what buttons to push to motivate them. There's no one motivation technique that suits everybody. Every kid is motivated differently. Every person has different things that, you know, uh, make them, you know, perform their best. Like I will give you an example, like my son's a very quiet kid. 
You know, he played basketball, had a good career, played at Laurier. But he's very quiet. And a lot of coaches mistake that quietness for someone who's not intense or not competitive. But he's just a quiet kid. And so to motivate him, I have to figure out, okay, I got to get in his head. Okay, what are you thinking? I got to ask him all the time. What are you thinking? Like, how do you feel about this? I can't make an assumption just because he's quiet, mm-hmm. that he doesn't care. My assumption has to be, okay, He's a quiet kid by nature, so how do I figure out what's going on in his head? So you ask. You ask some more questions. Whereas other kids wear their emotions on their sleeves. You know exactly how they feel, how what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they may need, they may be people you talk, you can you can be a little harder on them because they're, they don't care. They're going to weather through anything, right? There could be other kids who, or who learn by visually, like where I have to show them the play. I can't tell them the play. Mm-hmm. Or there's other pe- kids who I've had who I've had to write down the plays because they, they learn better by reading it off paper. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so you have to find out. Like So sometimes the problem isn't that the kids are Maybe they don't know what they're supposed to do or maybe know how they're supposed to do it. So to me, it's not about one single thing to help a kid. It's know your athletes, know your players, know the kids you're coaching. And then through that, and I mean know them in a meaningful way. I'm not talking about service level. Like know them in a meaningful way. Like, mm-hmm. like And then and find out what it is that pushes their buttons through those through that understanding of understanding who they are as people. And then you'll know what to do. You'll know if I can yell at this kid because he doesn't care. I mm-hmm. know I can't yell at this one. I got to be careful how I talk around him. Mm-hmm. I know this kid, I can't embarrass him in front of the group. I got to pull him to the side and say, hey, you know what? Mm-hmm. You got to do this. Because if you embarrass him in front of the group, he shuts down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so you got to figure out, you got to know your kids and the personality. And so that's that's the secret. So if it was for you, I would, if I picked on the team, mm-hmm. right? during the whole process of being on a team is me getting to know you. Like, mm-hmm. I talk to my kids. Ask them how they're doing in school. Ask them, what, you know, what do they like to eat? Ask them, you know, who the, you know what, what do they do for their free time? What movies are like? What books they're reading? I encourage them to read. Like, I figure out who they are as people. And when the more you can get to know them in a more meaningful way, you will know what buttons to push to get the best out of them. And, that, and that's why coaching is part of psychology and sociology as opposed to just X's and O's. You know? Yeah. Okay, well, th- thanks a lot, Coach Nikki. is very helpful, and thank you for uh, cutting out some time for me. Really appreciate it. Thanks, You're welcome. Coach. Thanks You're a welcome. lot, man. All right, thank you. On the next episode of Thanks, Coach. Well, that's all, folks, for Season 1 of Thanks, Coach. Next episode, we'll be doing a recap of Season 1 and also discussing plans for Season 2. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And don't forget to say thanks, coach.